Welcome to Angels and Seer Stones. I'm Chris. And I'm Christine. In this episode, we look at accounts of angelic music in the Latter-day Saint tradition. We'll talk about listening to unseen choirs and individual saints singing in the tongue of angels. Latter-day Saints are a people of radical faith. We are a unique body of Bible-believing Christians. For us, the scriptural canon has been opened. The traditional sacraments have expanded. Our beliefs and practices are steeped in universalism, esotericism, and apocalypticism. The Latter-day Saint tradition is a religion in which angels visit everyday people, and sometimes men and women see the divine in stones. In this podcast, we examine lived religion of Latter-day Saints, the stories we tell, and the beliefs we debate. We take seriously the whole gambit of Latter-day Saint experience. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Angels and Seer Stories. As Latter-day Saints, we're sometimes hesitant to acknowledge certain Christian traditions revolving around angels. We're reluctant to recognize ideas that are present in Scripture. We don't like the idea that angels have wings. We also don't like the image of heavenly choirs or spending our afterlife playing harps on a cloud. Our concern, of course, is that heaven is being reduced to infinite praise and worship, whereas traditionally, I think, Latter-day Saints have had this image of heaven as being a place where all are anxiously engaged in the work, to put it in the LDS vernacular. Although personally, these images do appeal to me. You know, my father was a blues musician, and growing up, he was the lead guitarist in the church band. I also grew up in a tradition where services started with praise and worship, where congregants sang vocally, they raised their hands, sometimes prostrated themselves across the ground. I can remember doing this a time or two, even from my youngest years. It's something that would sound and look pretty bizarre to a Latter-day Saint, I think. But I think it was a powerful opportunity to connect with God and to be meditative in a way that I haven't since been. Yeah, I have holy envy of that. Angelic music has a long history among Christians generally. Angelic choirs are discussed by Isaiah and John the Revelator, and of course the wonderful passage in Luke, where the shepherds witness multitudes of angels singing, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, goodwill toward men. This glorious moment is memorialized in the Christmas hymnal, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and our 11-year-old son's favorite, Angels We Have Heard on High. In excelsis Gloria In excelsis Those are the vocals of my my mission companion, my trainer from my time serving in Japan. And I just think it's absolutely beautiful. Um, you know, there have been a large number of these experiences in the history of the Latter-day Saint tradition. Some have reported hearing choirs at the deathbed of loved ones. One account that I really enjoy is from Prasinda Hunt, Prasindia Huntington, excuse me, who recalled hearing angels sing in the first Latter-day Saint temple in Kirtland, Ohio. At a fast meeting, I was in the temple with my sister Zaina. The whole of the congregation were on their knees, praying vocally. For such was the custom at the close of these meetings when Father Smith presided. Yet there was no confusion. The voices of the congregation mingled softly together. 
While the congregation was thus praying, we both heard from one corner of the room above our heads a choir of angels singing most beautifully. They were invisible to us, but myriads of angelic voices seemed to be united in singing some song of Zion, and their sweet harmony filled the temple of God. This is just one of many experiences recorded about the angels that appeared in the Kirtland Temple. A handful of these are associated with these very interesting meetings held by Joseph Smith Sr. Yeah, sometimes you read uh, of early Latter-day Saints praying in succession, for example, the three witnesses. But what an incredible event. The entire congregation each vocalizing their individual prayers. And that's even before angelic voices join in with song. And we know this was far from the only time individual saints heard the song of angels. In fact, Parley P. Pratt once wrote in the original Key to the Science of Theology that one of the ministries of angels was to, quote, sing the saints a good song. Reportedly, Brigham Young even declared that he had, quote, heard the soft and beautiful singing of the angels. Michael Hicks, Emeritus Professor of Music at Brigham Young University, shared both of these quotes with me when I spoke to him about angelic singing this past week. In his excellent article, Music in Heaven and Mormon Thought, in the Oxford Handbook of Mormonism, Dr. Hicks gives four answers to the question, what exactly do angels sing when they visit the saints? There, he says, angels sing hymns. They offer personal messages. They do public performances. And sometimes they sing in the language of heaven. A few years later, he had a different answer for me. It's whatever the person hearing it, perceiving it, feeling it, dreaming it, envisioning it, whatever it might be, whatever is meaningful to them. Now, in many cases, it's a hymn where people talk about these angels saying me this hymn. And as you know, in, in the early editions of Parley Pratt's Key to the Science of Theology, he's listing the things that angels do that are part of their duties. And one of the things is to sing them, that is, the saints, a good song. Incredible statement. What makes it a good song is what is needful or edifying or proves a blessing to the hearer or the feeler, perceiver, whatever it is. Michael shared a number of fascinating stories of Latter-day Saints hearing angelic voices. And as he suggests, sometimes they were hymns. And sometimes they were just angels appearing to play music to uplift the saints. There's one story that he mentioned, particularly powerful, um, angels appearing to lift up David Patton Kimball, one of the sons of Heber C. Kimball. I managed to round up a copy of this vision. In fact, Kimball talks about two different visions he had, one of a satanic string band and the other of an angelic symphony. I want you to pay attention here about the way he juxtaposes these two experiences. After crossing a 75-mile desert with ox teams, my spiritual ears were opened to my sorrow. From 11 o'clock at night until daylight the next morning, while driving our jaded animals up a sandy wash in search of water, I listened to a satanic string band that caused every fiber in my dejected body to quiver. The deep, doleful, lonesome sound almost drove me wild while my swollen tongue was protruding from my burning mouth. 
Every part of that horrible dirge was perfectly played, interpreting most excellently the terrible ordeal through which I was passing, causing my mind to suffer more intensely than my body, if such a thing were possible. Those dismal sounds rumble in my ears to this day, causing me to shudder when I think of it. On the other hand, I've heard spiritual music that was so far ahead of anything earthly that I ever listened to that comparison cannot be made. These angelic musicals were generally given after passing through long sieges of hardship, disappointments, and homesickness. Then, when everything was going well with me, I could feel heavenly influences gathering around until sometimes felt as if I was floating in midair. I believe it was my departed relatives and friends who, out of sympathy, had come to bring me cheer. On such occasions, their presence was generally accompanied by celestial music. While life lasts, I will never forget one occasion of this kind that took place during the late spring of 1878. After crossing a dreary desert waste, I came into a beautiful valley, the surroundings of which were most enchanting. The road for miles ahead was almost as level as a barn floor, and weather conditions were simply perfect. There was not a living soul within 10 miles of where I was, and it was so still that my animals started at the least sound. About three o'clock in the afternoon, I felt the presence of my spiritual friends gathering around, and soon after, some distance away, I heard beautiful music. It was a heavenly orchestra playing a grand march. The whole heaven seemed to have resound with sweet melodies, there being nothing to mar the solemnity of the occasion until I drove into camp for the night. Then the music ceased. My spiritual friends departed, leaving everything around me as silent as death. I can just imagine Kimball suffering at the sounds of those cacophonous, satanic tones. Uh, and it's probably useful to remember that the sound of hell is even scriptural. You know, we hear or we read wailing and gnashing of teeth. This initial story places the next scene in relief, helping us to imagine the power and the peace of heavenly players. I really enjoyed that. You know, when we read these stories of angelic music, it's usually about the voices of the angels and about the stringed instruments they play. And the same end, we have a satanic string band, which is kind of straight out of Devil Went Down to Georgia. That's but the right. idea of the devil playing music that has power is an old idea. It shows up in some readings of the Pied Piper story dating back to Germany in the 1400s. This idea that maybe the Pied Piper who convinced all the children to leave Hamlin was actually the devil himself playing his sinister pipe. Well, that's an interesting insight, Chris. I really like that. Angels continue to sing, Angels also continue to sing the Latter-day Saints of the decades as they did in the early 20th century to Samantha Foley. At this point, she had invested years of learning Spanish so, she could, so that she could become the first to translate the handbook for the people of Mexico. Foley is a fascinating Latter-day Saint. In her memoir, she records hearing a Nephite choir that came to her bedroom. At first, I was asleep, but was awakened by the sound of voices singing, accompanied by the chords of string instruments which blended sweetly together, producing a soft, pathetic music. I was soon awake and marveled at hearing the music which seemed to flow from many and varied voices in a variety of string instruments. How I yearned for that band to remain. I longed to see and know them, but such exquisite rapture was not for me to enjoy, only as a token and witness to me that all my struggles and endeavors. My patience and sacrifice had been accepted by my Heavenly Father, and that the spirits of the Nephite race were cognizant of all my endeavors to do good to their prosperity. Nor was I left to contemplate upon the lone visit of their part, but they came again and again. 
The visitations were repeated for seven successive times a week or more between. Whenever this miraculous visitation came, it filled my soul with comfort and ecstatic joy. I shared this account with Michael Hicks last week, and he told me about another 19th century Latter-day Saints who met with Nephite angels. Thomas Durham was a composer, a very prominent uh, musician in um, Parowan, Utah. Uh, very interested in uh, choir directing, and he'd written some things and so on. And so he was given a blessing by Cyrus Wheelock that he would be given songs and, uh, and that they would come from heaven. Thomas Durham had a dream in which a horn was being played by a Nephite warrior, and it was a lamentation for the decimation of his people. Now I'm going to sing you the song. I'm going to sing you the tune, because it's here in the primary songbook. It was in the primary songbook until 1951. So you can have voices without words. This is a, not an uncommon thing in accounts of hearing music from the other side. And of course, for her and for others like Thomas Turham, it was often connected with the Book of Mormon peoples their fate and the resonance, you might say, of their culture, their spirit on this continent. And it's just sort of there, and the, these spirits are all around us, and they, they're wanting to share their stories from beyond. That's what the Book of Mormon itself is. It's a voice from the dust. So you have this Nephite lamentation. It's instrumental. It's not. There's no. There's no words to it. You can put words to the tune, but the important thing is it. It was without words. It was a song without words. And I think that uh, Foley's experience was probably that as well. So Nephite choirs are one example of a continuing tradition of Latter-day Saints communing with the ancient Judeo-Christian culture of the Americas. Visions of Nephites, of course, began with the appearance of Moroni to Joseph Smith, but they continued with the three Nephites in the lore that all of us are very familiar with. Well, for an outsider, it might not be clear how deceased Native Americans relate to angels. But remember, Latter-day Saints believe angels are the righteous dead and those yet to be born. Nephites are a great example of a potential angel. Yes, and I want to stress that hearing angelic choirs are not just an early Latter-day Saint experience, although some of these stories are a little bit less familiar to us. But stories of disembodied voices continue even into the present. In 2019, the Liahona even published a beautiful account from an Australian man named Lyndon Russell Cavanaugh who heard a heavenly choir the year after his baptism in 1977. I suddenly heard angelic choirs singing. The memory is vivid. I remember exactly where I was. The junction of Manly and Wandell. I distinctly remember how beautiful and calming the singing was, even though I could not distinguish the words. Although I couldn't see who was singing, I felt surrounded by those angelic voices. It was a wonderful feeling. Though I had not thought of I was in any danger, I felt protected by the power and beauty of the presence of such heavenly music. The unexplained euphoric presence remained with me even after the experience ended, and immense joy followed me the rest of the day. In the 19th century, Latter-day Saints also wanted to be part of these heavenly choirs. They didn't just want to be spectators to the great choirs above. 
They wanted to participate themselves, and they did so through the gift of tongues. Remember, early Latter-day Saints did not think about tongues simply as a way of communicating in foreign languages like we do today when sisters and elders are serving missions. They thought of tongues as a means of worship, public demonstration that God had blessed them with otherwise unknown languages. It was miraculous. Sometimes people spoke in what they believed was a Native American dialect. Other times it was the Adamic language that had been lost at the Tower of Babel. A few Latter-day Saints were known for their ability to sing in the gift of tongues. One of these women was Elizabeth Ann Whitney, a wife of the prophet Joseph Smith, who would later marry Newell K. Whitney, and one of the original counselors in the Nauvoo Relief Society. This is from her obituary. Her voice was one of the rarest and sweetest tone, the recollection of which can never be forgotten, especially if she sang in the gift of tongues. It was said by the prophet Joseph that she sang in the language spoken of in the Garden of Eden, and this gift she retained during her long life, more than fourscore years. You know, there are few Latter-day Saints living today that can say they've spoken in tongues or that they've sung in tongues. But Michael Hicks has done just that. Before his conversion to the Latter-day Saint tradition, while he was still a high schooler, Michael had become a charismatic Christian. During our conversation, he told me about his experience learning to speak in tongues and eventually singing with a group of fellow believers. My experience was always a group singing. And it would be at the end of a hymn that we'd all sung together, usually, and we'd all just start singing, and usually in tongues, because there was we'd already um, gone beyond the text of the hymn. And this notion of going beyond words is, is an important one to what you're looking at, you know, that, that it, it's a level beyond mere language. So we would be singing all in our individual tongues. Now, it all harmonized, and we thought, this is divine. I didn't realize till later that it's actually just because we were always all singing in the same pentatonic scale. It sounds very harmonious. So we could do that for half an hour, you know, at the end of, of a hymn. That's the most extreme example. Or I would go, uh, I, I had experiences of going out into the woods and, and singing uh, out loud in tongues as well as a, as a solo practice. Uh, how much other people did that, I don't know. Latter-day Saint literature sometimes references people singing in tongues to the tune of some hymn. So it, people recognize the tune. You know, there's something very powerful in the idea of pulling music from the other side of the veil. And it's fitting that this experience has become part of the Latter-day Saint tradition. Right, specifically because it's a restoration. This is an idea that shows up in Isaiah and the book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. Choirs of angels are present in the ancient faith and Apparently, they were part of the foundations of our current dispensation. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Angels and Seer Stones. We're going to leave you with the tongue singing of a wonderful, charismatic Christian artist named Jenny Weaver, who has a YouTube page that you'll find very interesting. We don't actually know what early Latter-day Saint tongue singing sounded like. But it's interesting to see 
what it sounds like in American Christianity today. Thanks for joining us this week. Make sure to comment, review, share, and subscribe. We'll be back next week when we discuss Moroni lore, and we'll see you then. See you then. Shandala Rabba, Kariabo, Posol, Tataya. Menzara Mashon, the Lenamas, the Vianda, and the Maya. Menshatoy, and Anana, Menshatoy, and Anana, the Vianda, and the Maya. Menshatoy, and Anana,